But the fascinating other aspect of brain science is that as the person tells a story and the person listens to the story, they've scanned the brains of people um, in those moments. And they found that as you tell a story, the same chemical pattern is seen in both brains. Wow. So it's like you sync your brain to the other person. And so in terms of our emotional well-being, in terms of feeling that moment of connection with someone, storytelling is a great way to do that because you're literally syncing your brain with the other person. Hey everyone, this is Toso, back with another episode of Time to Grow. It's a podcast by UCB, aiming to answer the question of what it means to be well. Today on the program, I'm joined by my new friend, Phil Knox. He's the author of Story Bearer, How to Share Your Faith with Friends. He also helps run missions with the Evangelical Alliance. This after spending over a dozen years working with young adults in his time at Youth for Christ. To be sure we're on the same page, I must inform you that I am not a mental health professional, but I will be leaving some helpful links in the show notes below for anyone curious to learn more about how they can grow healthy in body, soul, and mind. In past interviews, my guest and I focused more on the individual, practices we can adopt in order to best navigate our own journeys into well-being. Today, Phil and I connected more on the concept of community and spoke on just how important it is to help inform things from identity to relationship. And so, without further ado, welcome to the program, Phil. So brilliant to be with you. I'm melting. It's it's heat wave time, and, <laughs> wave, uh, and it's great to chat to take my mind off how hot I am today. <laughs> brilliant. Well, I wanted to start off high level and just get your sense of what wellness even is. I asked you this uh, uh, about a week ago, and you kind of noted that it's something about good habits, also the discipline that we need in terms of our spirituality or spiritual nature, but how that feeds into our mental state as well. I don't know if you comment on that a little bit in terms of what wellness means to you and maybe how we can get there. Yeah, and wellness is so multifaceted, isn't it? We, there's kind of mental well-being, relational well-being, emotional well-being, spiritual well-being. But I think for the purposes of time, I think the things that I would love to, to chat about is, is first of all, the spiritual rhythms. I, I found the pandemic really hard. We had so much stuff going on, disappointment, bereavement, discouragement. And one of the things I found that really helped my well-being on a number of levels was changing my habits regularly to try and work, to try and reboot and reset a lot of my kind of spiritual rhythms. Mm -hmm. So I would find things like getting up at the same time each day, going for a walk, praying on that walk. That was a really helpful rhythm. Um, kind of having a, a really good rhythm with the family. So we ended up doing communion every Friday evening. That was a really important rhythm. Praying with the family before bed. So I think, I think for me, those rhythms and those habits are really important. And the other thing I just love is, is relationship. I think we don't talk enough about relational well-being. And I think we are we, we so often fall into the lie of individualism that we can make it on our own. The reality is that life and discipleship are not an individual pursuit, they're a team game. And so our health is intrinsically linked to the health of those around us. And that's so important too. Brilliant, I love that comment too, just about the relational aspect, because I think sometimes, and you said it, that this lie of individualism, it pervades, especially in my generation and younger today, it almost feels like we are 
together alone, if it makes sense. We, we have social media, we have these tools of connection, but the depth maybe is a little bit lacking. And that's where I think story comes in, helping to create those connections that allow us those more genuine friendships, those more genuine places where we can say, yes, this is somebody I know and that I feel like I'm known by. Can you speak maybe to what inspired you on this journey of story bearing, so to speak, of trying to become somebody who, okay, this seems like a tool Jesus used a lot, also seems like something that perhaps could be useful in my walk. How did you kind of come to this full circle moment of, yeah, let me go ahead and speak on this, maybe a little more comprehensively than just thinking about it? Yeah, I mean, well, well first of all, I'm, I'm sure like you and many of the listeners, I just love stories. <laughs> so mm-hmm. for me, kind of growing up, I remember being captivated by the books I'd read. I'd be captivated when by the films I'd see. I just love stories. As I delved and researched the book, I found some fascinating research around the power of story. I love the way that Jesus told stories. We're story people. And, and, I, and I think where the kind of the book came from around the connection between stories and faith is that I'm desperate for people to come to know Jesus. I'm a, I'm a card-carrying evangelist. I'm, I live to see people encounter the living God. And, and interestingly, research tells us that most people who come to faith don't do so through a church leader or an evangelist or a preacher on a street corner. They do so through a friend or a family member. And, mm-hmm. and in years of, of, of talking about evangelism with people, what I found was that we, we could all be more effective in being able to share our faith. And many people, including myself at times, get caught when someone says, why are you a Christian and begin to talk about faith? And over the years, what I found is I've talked to my not yet Christian friends and talked to people about talking with their not yet Christian friends. I found the best thing we can do is tell a story. People are really interested in the stories that we have to share. And I think we've all got a story. Sometimes we, we can go to Christian events and hear people talk about, you know, drugs to Christ and crazy you know, wild times, and then they met Jesus and everything was fine. The reality is if God has changed your life, you have a story. And so that's where Storybearer came from. It's a book to simply help us share our story, share the best-selling story of all time, the good news of Jesus, and to also be really good listeners to the people's stories and find those connection points between those stories. So, uh, so that's why I wrote the book. And why, why young people? To go a little bit further with this, because I think that stories become so much more powerful when we are consciously aware of how they can help impact people. It seems we, we haven't fully fleshed out our own story, so in a way it, it's tough, but you've worked directly with young folks for a lot of your career. Speak to what that was like and how this has maybe informed your space inform the spaces that you're working in now um, in terms of helping kids and young adults really come to terms with their own faith. I know for me, for example, just speaking things out loud sometimes helps me contextualize it in my own mind. It makes it more real. There's a social psychologist who teaches at uh, New York University, um, Jonathan Haidt, and he has a couple books out. And he says that the mind is not a logic processor. It is a story processor. And I thought that that was really interesting because it cuts directly to this topic of how our minds work. And if we're going to be aiming for wellness, I think we need to at least consider what that means. Information is good. It helps us orient ourselves. But there is something to be said for the the inspiration, the transformative power of stories. And I think that that could be a really big tool in the toolbox for young people today. So maybe you can just speak about your work with young folks and how the stories have come to a head in that space. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, young people is sadly not my space anymore. I'm a little lot too old for that, really, these days. Well, you're never too old, but but certainly I feel never. too old. My my job's with the whole church these days. Okay. But but especially young people. Um, I mean, statistically, 85% of people who come to know Jesus in the UK today do so before the age of 23. So in terms of sowing into a field where people are making decisions to follow Jesus with their lives, it's an incredibly fruitful environment. And specifically around story. I think from a very early age, we just love stories. And so I've got a three-year-old, my youth ministry at the moment, as I've got a three-year-old and a nine-year-old. What do they watch on TV? They watch stories. Yeah. Um, you know, whether it's Paw Patrol or Thomas Tank Engine or Peppa Pig, it's story-based. But then for teenagers, we think about the, the most common activity for teenagers at the moment is all oriented around social media. What are Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat and Facebook asking us all to do? They're not just asking us to capture a moment in time. They're asking us to tell our story. The marketers are so far ahead of the game on this. Mm. The sportswear company Nike has a full-time storyteller assigned to each of their executives to help them tell a better story of what Nike is doing. Wow. Our advertising, our social media, our music videos are oriented around story because we're story people. And Jesus kind of knew this, didn't he? You know, he knew yeah. the way that our brains were wired. He, he, it's like he had help. You know, and yeah. so when he's telling the stories of the most profound truths of the universe, he uses story. And so in many ways, in terms of my connection with people, with people young and old, yeah. one of the best things we can do to connect with people when we're preaching, when we're engaging in social media, when we're engaging in radio like yourself, let's tell some stories. And then you mentioned that you have a forthcoming book called The Best of Friends, and this is speaking more towards how friendship helps us in our well-being. Maybe you could just give us a few words about that book and what that has been like and what you've found out about friendship in terms of its importance for us today. Yeah, I'm captivated by friendship. I've always been hyper-relational, but also it's, it's really interesting. When you ask someone to describe their best ever day, their perfect day, it almost always ends with friends. All of us, however introverted or extroverted we are, we all love people. And I, I wrote about this partly influenced by the pandemic. In lots of instances, friendship is timeless. We've always needed friends. But also, I think we're living in a moment in time where loneliness is on the increase, where we've lost many of the incidental relationships that we used to have. And so that, that's what provoked the book. Uh, but the book is simply written, first of all, to help us to have deeper friendships. I hope there are less lonely people as a result. And I hope there are more people in the kingdom because the way most people come to faith is through a friend. And so the book focuses, first of all, on the power of friendship. So friendship is atomic. It genuinely is better to, to eat kebabs with friends than salad on your own. Uh, there was an amazing story of a, of a village, uh, a town in Pennsylvania, where death from heart disease was through the floor. No one was dying, basically. They tried to track down what is the power, what's happening in this in this town to extend life. And these people had terrible diets. They smoked cigars. They drank red wine with abandon. And yet they were incredibly connected. Three to four generations lived under one roof. And the power of their life was in friendship and connection. And my fear is as a world that we're becoming increasingly fragmented, increasingly disconnected. And so the book is about the power of friendship. It's about the pressure on our friendships but then also gives us a model to help improve our friendships. So we look at Jesus, we look at Moses, we look at ancient biblical wisdom. Each chapter ends with some really practical tips as to how we can improve our friendship. 
Um, and then finally, we look at the invitation of the friendship of God. And so my, my hope is that people read this book, their friendships dramatically deepen and change. But also if people aren't a Christian, they read it and they see that a huge paradigm of the gospel is that we're all invited to be friends with God. Amen. So I'm excited by it. Comes out next year. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, check that out when it comes out. The best of friends. Also, Storyberry, if you haven't yet checked it out. One of the things that I also noted was this idea that wellness almost feels contextual. This goes along with the idea of friendship, but also back to stories that oftentimes the stories we tell, and there was a piece of research done that spoke to this. It said that some, and I can't remember specifically, so please don't fact check me out there, but there was some people selling things on eBay and it was just random trinkets you would have like a, a you know a water bottle or, or a mouse or something of that nature things you would find in any old charity shop they had one listing with it just as is and then they had another listing with it described as some sort of historical artifact some some story that was behind it and that story increased the value almost 10 times and it's just this idea that we can almost intrinsically change the value of a thing just by attaching a story to it. You spoke of it as the, as the executives at Nike and the fact that they have these storytellers that help them tell stories. So I wanted to know maybe what your thought process about, okay, we know wellness is contextual. We know that friendship is important. We know that stories help us make these connections. What are the practical ways we can tell our stories? How are the ways that we can begin to make that glue that holds us together? so that we can be more prepared for when somebody asks us, whether it's about our faith or about our story, we can be in a better position to then say authoritatively, this is what's true. You're absolutely right, by the way. I, I totally remember. I, I've read too that still about the eBay Thank stuff. You. So you're not, you're not making it up. You're good. You're good. <laughs> uh, uh, in terms of how we engage and practically how we get to tell our story, but also how do we hear others? I think my first piece of advice would be don't, First, try to be interesting. We try to be interested in the other person. And so there's an art of conversation that I think in many places we've lost where, where we've lost the ability to ask really good questions about how people are doing. And so, so often in our conversations, whether it's kind of on the train on the way home or whether it's down the pub or in the coffee shop or on the way somewhere or after church, Asking people how they're really doing rather than just going, are you all right? Which is quite a closed ended <laughs> question. I, I try to phrase my question. Tell me about, tell me about your week. Tell me about what's going on for That's you. Good. What's going really well for you at the moment. Tell me about that. Tell me about, um, uh, about your challenges at the moment and what's keeping you busy. I think there's another thing as well. You're not ruling out people who haven't got a job or, or, or people who are retired and that people can choose to talk about their hobbies or their work. I think asking really good questions. I think Jesus was amazing at asking questions. So that's part of the art of it. But then the other piece is, I think, when people ask us to tell our story, being prepared is really important. Just as kind of after a bit of work preparing for our conversation today, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to think about when people might ask us, how we're doing and talk about especially around faith being prepared there's a, a verse in the bible that says always be prepared mm. to give an answer to anyone who asks you to yeah, give a reason for the hope that you have so if you're feeling hopeful what what, what story will you tell to yeah. talk about that and and even down to language language is so powerful isn't it mm. and so thinking about the kind of words that that we'd use if someone talks to me about faith at the moment i'm talking in terms of purpose and meaning and belonging and hope in this time when people are searching for hope and putting hope in 
things like football or, or whatever. <laughs> you know, I, I, so I think I think being prepared, thinking about our story, but but also asking really good questions and finding connection points with other people's stories. So so if yeah. we're in conversation, I, I, I'm I'm constantly trying to find what connect what are the connection points with with you or others that that I can I can draw alongside and tell my story and find common grounds, as well as being really interested in bits of difference and say tell me about that what's that like for you Mm, i love that tell me about it gives them an opportunity to actually speak versus i think it's just you know common uk parlance is you all right (laughs) and that conversation starts and ends there and so i think just keeping that door open such a powerful way one other question about stories but as it pertains to our brains now this is a mental wellness podcast, but I try to get different perspectives on the topic and try to see how these things can maybe synergize into a better understanding of how our minds really work. And so in your book, in the chapter, The Power of Story, you spoke about the way that our brains react to these stories and how first we release cortisol, which essentially has our attention locked in on that other person. Then we release oxytocin, which is also known for its role in childbirth. So essentially what this is, is creating that natural bond, that that natural allowance for us to feel, okay, but we're safe in this situation. And finally, the dopamine that is released, which is that pleasure chemical. It makes us feel good physically. And so all of these things seem to positively correlate with our ability to feel well. I, I wondered maybe what your perspective on how stories and the brain connect. Obviously not speaking as a mental health expert, but speaking as somebody who was very intimately related with stories, Have you seen that truly play out in people's lives to where they were able to engage in a story? Obviously, all of our stories then weave into his story and and that beautiful, you know, tapestry of what we come from and what we return to and the oneness with God. But in the interim, while we're still connecting with people on this plane, how do you see that play out? I, I don't I don't literally see the chemicals flow, but I, but I can but I have been in situations where I've seen the impact. I'm I'm yeah. a storyteller. So ten days ago I was speaking at a, speaking at an event on you know, one of my favorite stories in, in the world, which is Jesus' story of the lost son in, in Luke 15. Mm. And you watch people as you talk about the moment where the son comes to his senses, makes the journey home, how the father's eyes have never left the road down which his son has traveled. And then he runs to him, throws his arms around him, kisses him, puts a robe on his back, a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And you watch people moved before you. And that is absolutely guaranteed. That is oxytocin doing its work. That's the moment which, you know, oxytocin is known as the cuddle chemical. It's the thing that when I'm sat around with my buddies on a Friday night and the fire embers are flowing into the air, it's that's the thing that where you feel, yes, I'm here and it's good and life's good because I'm connected. And so that's why we cry at films. We, that's why we root for the people in those stories. That's yeah. the power of story. And then when there's resolution at the end of the story, again, I, I've seen it in people's eyes as you tell stories, whether it's one-on-one or preaching to a crowd, you watch the dopamine flow, <laughs> not, not literally, but you, you see people's reaction as, the, yeah. as the resolution comes at the end of the story. And, and I've seen it on a personal level. I've seen as I've told my story to people one-on-one, that kind of reaction, that's all up. But the fascinating other aspect of brain science is that as the person tells a story uh, and, and the person listens to the story, they've scanned the brains of people 
um, in those moments. And they found that as you tell a story, you're, the same chemical pattern is seen in both brains. Wow. So it's like you sink your brain to the other person. And so in terms of our emotional well-being, in terms of feeling that moment of connection with someone, storytelling is a great way to do that because you're literally sinking your brain with the other person. And so that's, I think that's what forms the connection. The other thing about oxytocin that science tells us is it's cumulative over time. That's why there is something deeper in a friendship when, you know, when my nine-year-old meets his, his buddy on the, on the playground, that's a different friendship to someone, to two wrinkled old hands that shake after decades of knowing each other. Mm. There's something beautiful and cumulative about the oxytocin release that happens over time that bonds us to those around us. And those lifelong friendships are, are critical to our well-being. They make us feel safe. They create a trust, uh, which is so critical. It's how we're created to be. We are created for community. We're created for friendship. And it's just so important to us. We are created for community. Phil, thank you so much for your time today. The author of Storybearer, How to Share Your Faith with Your Friends. Also, the forthcoming book, The Best of Friends, which talks about the role of friendship in mental well-being. Um, anywhere that the people can find you if they wanted to follow along on the journey. Is there any specific areas that you would say, yeah, go ahead and follow me here? Yeah, you can find me on www.storybearer.com. Uh, and on there, there's details about the book. Uh, I'm also a spoken word poet so there's a load of videos around that um also anything on on twitter at phil knox instagram at mr phil knox uh, yeah come find me anywhere and there you have it i hope you enjoyed my conversation today with phil knox he is a church leader a writer a speaker and a prime exemplar of what it means to live on purpose don't forget to follow or subscribe. It really helps other people find the show and I personally would really appreciate it. If you have any feedback, feel free to reach us on the socials at UCB Media or send an email to broadcasting at ucb.co.uk. Next week, I'll be chatting with Jordan Rayner. He's a ball of positive energy and a great listener. He's also the best-selling author of a number of amazing books and devotionals. One of the things we'll be sure to touch on is the concept of self, especially as it pertains to our ability to create, and ultimately, our identity in Christ. Be sure to tap in and let us know what you think. Until then, keep fighting the good fight, stay firmly in love, and be well. Be well.